what passages can I turn to for mental illness? And is mental illness sin? Um, let me start with the second question. Um, mental illness is not a sin, but it is a result of having sin in the world. Right, so if there was no sin, would we battle depression and anxiety and things that just cripple us mentally? The answer would be no. Uh, when Jesus comes back and the world is made perfect, there will be no physical illness or mental illness. Um, is it a sin if you battle depression or anxiety? The answer is no. But you need to know that when you're in that state of mind, like it is very easy to sin. And I know so many people in our church know this really well. Um, it's so easy to doubt God's promises and his love, his power, his plans for us. So where do you turn to when you're in like a really depressed spot or you're really anxious about something in your life? Um, my best answer would just be this. <clears throat> when we look inside of ourselves, we see a lot of imperfections. We see a heart that sometimes trusts and sometimes doesn't. But when we open this book, we find so many good passages about God's promises to us. And I want to encourage you, like, even if in the moment something in you is doubting it, just like stay connected to it. Allow God to speak to you and allow people in your life to be able to speak those same passages to your heart. Uh, a great passage like 1 Peter 5 speaks specifically about anxiety. I love this one. Um, it says, Cast all your anxieties on God, because he cares for you. <laughs> Which to me is the perfect passage. It's not like, right, there's the law. Cast all your anxiety on God. Give it to God. Let go and let God. But the passage doesn't end there because God knows about the gospel. Cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Just meditating on stuff like that, like God still cares for me. After all the junk I've done, he still cares about me. He cares about my finances. He cares what I'm anxious about. He's, he cares what makes me depressed. He cares about my drinking, he cares about my marriage, he cares about my kids, he cares about our country, he cares for me. And passages like that kind of snap us out of our own thinking and remind us how big and caring and loving and forgiving God is. So is mental illness a sin? No. What passages can I turn to for mental illness? Um, read the Psalms, I would say, because there are tons. I, I think David, I think he battled depression. I mean, he gets really low in the Psalms and they're really honest and they're really going to resonate if that's your kind of mental spot in life. But he finds so much hope in the power of the promises, the love, and the forgiveness of God. So when I meet with people who are depressed or anxious, I basically say, you know, read a psalm a day. In the morning, before you go to bed at night, you're going to find some great food for your soul from the book of Psalms. As a Christian church, how do we respond to the Me Too movement? I'm a guy who lives with three females. And I, can, I cannot imagine how my heart would be broken if anyone hurt any three of them. And if God has a fatherly heart that's way more compassionate than mine, when any of his daughters gets hurt, man, our, our first response as Christians should not be to critique a movement or wonder if there are false accusations in the world. Like, I, I think just to listen and to, have our, to know that, what is it, one in, is it one in three or one in four women will be violently assaulted before their 18th birthday? I mean, according to the odds, I'm living with three women, one of them, statistically in America, that's happening too. So when Jesus looked at the crowds, I think in Matthew chapter 10, it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I think compassion. I think we should, 1 Corinthians 12, weep with those who weep. 
I think we should stand up and we should fight and defend. Now, are, are there false accusations in our world? Um, sure. Remember Genesis 39? Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of rape and sexual assault and he didn't do it. Um, does that sometimes happen? Yes. Yeah, sometimes people lie about things. But if I'm walking into a situation, like that's my gut reaction to things, man, I, I'm really going to wound and hurt someone who might have really been hurt and needs a Christian like me to show intense compassion. So I think we should weep. I think we should mourn. I think we should be happy that a lot of the wickedness that's happening in our culture and that powerful people could get away with, it's being exposed. So despite its many, many flaws, I'm very happy that we are taking some sins way more seriously than we used to. If you want to see me uh, get kind of ticked off, uh, tell me how great our country used to be 75 years ago. Christians do this all the time, right? Things are going to crap in America. Well, I'd be really glad if I was a black woman now compared to 75 years ago. <laughs> when what, many, many people went to church and racism was 50 times as bad. Like, don't, no, no, no. Sin is sin. Every cultural era has to battle its own sins. And it's really good that we're starting to realize some of that, especially as the Christian church. So let's take the side of those who've been hurt and oppressed and damaged. Let's stand up for truth, but let's be filled with grace too. Will we recognize people in heaven? Also in heaven, will we have memories of our time on earth? Revelation 7, so when, when John gets this glimpse of heaven, he says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Now, how did John know they were from different tribes and peoples? Right, they had to have some appearance to them, right? So one would think that we're, rec- you know, we're still ourselves in heaven. How, you know, how does that look when we're a spirit without a body? I have no clue how that's all going to work out. Um, yeah, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 says, at least when Jesus returns, we're going to be caught up with Christians who've already died in faith. This is 1, Corinthians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again and we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The Lord himself will come down, the dead in Christ will rise, and we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we will be with the Lord forever. So I think the answer to that question is yes, we will recognize uh, Christians in heaven. Second question, in heaven, will we have memories of our time on earth? Well, we know, um, same part of the Bible, Revelation chapter 7. It says, Never again will they hunger or thirst God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 7, verse 17. So there, there couldn't be any memories that make us sad or heaven won't be heaven, right? There couldn't be any heartbroken, grief, sadness. Uh, there's a passage from Isaiah that says, you know, the, the former things will pass away because God will make all things new. So this is kind of my guess. Don't write this one down. But, but either we just don't think about that at all because we're in the presence of... When my daughter... Uh, Stream of consciousness answer here. Did you pick that up yet? When my daughter Brooklyn was born, I, I did not think about my credit card debt. I, I saw something so beautiful that it totally like consumed my thoughts. So I don't know. When you see God, do you think a lot about? Remember my eighth grade basketball year, Jesus? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sure it's just so glorious and good. Like your heart just explodes with joy. Or maybe, or maybe, 
God like helps you see his wisdom through all the ups and downs and you come to be grateful for every day you went through. So the stuff that made you frustrated with God or mad at God or confused at God when he reveals like what he was doing and you just come to praise him and trust him and glorify him even more than more, that's a possibility too. But I couldn't prove that one with a Bible passage. Next question. I'm watching people at my stage of life get engaged, move in together, get married, etc. in jumbled up orders. How can I keep my standards high and be patient when I really want the relationships I see everyone else having? <laughs> Whoever asked that, thank you. That's a really good and honest question. You ever seen someone who doesn't necessarily do things God's way and they seem to be really happy? Which is kind of frustrating because <laughs> you're trying to do the right thing and there's no immediate reward. Um, my short answer to the question is this, that no matter how frustrating or inferior your life seems right now, on the scale of eternity, your life is like this and eternity lasts forever. And people who want to do things apart from God's way, you know, they'll get their little bit of happiness but it lasts about this long. That, that's how sin works. But if you are doing what's right in the eyes of God, he will applaud and affirm your decision forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> uh, one of my two favorite chapters in the entire Bible is from Psalm 73. Oh man, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> my pages are falling out of my Bible. <laughs> yeah, Psalm 73, there's a guy named Asaph who actually went through this same thing. Uh, he's talking about uh, verse 3. He says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. So he sees people like doing things not God's way and he's like envious of it. But then here's his conclusion at the end of Psalm 73. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet, I am always with you, God. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Here's what I would say to you. Um, there are people who can move in and sleep around and do sex and relationships their way, but they only get a person or momentary pleasure. If you're a Christian, you have God. God. <laughs> and if the Holy Spirit starts to open your eyes that God is infinitely better than any human person, you'll realize that those people should be jealous of you. Because if you're following Jesus, you have God now and for an eternity to come. So my, my prayer for you would be remember how good God is and remember how long eternity lasts. That's the antidote for every bit of envy and jealousy that we might feel. What is the line between lovingly pointing out a neighbor's sin versus approaching people the way the Pharisees did? All right, let's imagine, let's imagine your best friend um, is gossiping. Yeah, just trash talks everyone. Um, now let's assume for the sake of the argument, she comes to the same church with you. <clears throat> the Bible says we have to be careful about judging non-Christians and holding them to Christian standards. But she claims to be a Christian. She's a member of the church. Now she's gossiping. Like, do you say something? And if so, how do you say it? I think this question is like, how do you like lovingly correct someone the Pharisees were famous for correcting people, but they were super proud and self-righteous. 
And I think a great answer to that is in Luke chapter 18. You can write that down while I'm finding it. Luke chapter 18. Um, Jesus told this story about a Pharisee and a tax collector, and this is how it started. It said, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. And I think that's the key. Um, things blow up when you honestly think in your heart that that person is a worse sinner than you are. When you look at someone's behavior and instead of like being heartbroken that they're hurting themselves or the people around them, it just it frustrates you because why would you ever do something like that? Because you don't do it? Ooh. That's when you need to push pause and check your own heart. Um, whenever you can look down, on, you know, it's those people in our city, it's those people in our country, it's those people. At our, whenever you're not like the worst sinner in the room in your own mind, you really, really have to be careful. Because you're probably not doing it out of love, you're probably doing it more out of self-righteousness. And we just have to correct people like you and then things will get fixed. So I think a key is just a wide-eyed awareness of your own sinfulness. To realize that if it wasn't for the grace of God and the Holy Spirit of God, you would do all of that times a hundred. And then you're going to be humble enough to approach someone in love, right? Um, this happens all the time because we sin in different ways. I think this is one of the devil's best tools. Um, so let's imagine you're married and let's imagine uh, your husband struggles with sexual temptation and pornography and you just don't get it. I mean, it's, it's so hurtful and you've talked to him about it and it didn't just happen once or twice but five times and ten times and you're, you're so frustrated because he should just stop, Right? But the problem is if, if you don't realize that there's something just like that, like you have your own version of pornography that hurts him and he's talked to you about it and you don't just stop it. But it's different. Like that's, that's the danger. Right? When your sin is so easy that we should turn it off like a light switch but mine's more complicated and you, and you don't understand, like th then you're in Pharisee mode. But when you really understand like sin is difficult to say no to, like, I, I totally get it. I lose the battle a thousand times. But you know what, brother, sister, I'm, I'm really concerned about what I'm seeing in you and I want to talk to you about it. You're going to have a humble, compassionate, forgiving heart. So look in the mirror. Be very aware of your own sinfulness. You'll have the humility that you need to approach sin well. Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here with Time of Grace. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast and we'd love for this podcast to be a blessing to you in the days to come. So if you could share this podcast, subscribe so that every episode ends up in your feed or just leave us a review, we would love more and more people to hear this message so that their lives can be surrounded and blessed by the grace of God. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.